Welcome to Rule Benders, brought to you by Samsung Galaxy. I'm Alexis Fernandez, and in this podcast, I meet the mavericks, the innovators, the rule benders who are defying conventions, shaking up the status quo, and redefining what's possible. In this episode, we're going to explore the rule models can't be overweight. It's not just about, you know, that rule of models not being allowed to be fat or to be overweight. It's about real people being allowed to exist without judgment and the liberation of fat bodies in public spaces and even in our own homes where we live with people who, whether they mean to or not, are talking to us about our bodies in a way that makes us feel shame. For as long as we've had catwalks, the models who have graced them have been thin and wispy. And it's certainly not a comment on these models themselves, who are just trying to get by like the rest of us. But I think the fashion industry has helped fuel a belief that women need to be skinny in order to be style icons. I remember hearing as a kid these ideas from the women around me, always criticising their bodies, their weight or shape, and outright tearing apart their own appearance. We are taught by our culture that in order to be happy and feel good, we need to have or at least strive for a certain body shape. But today's guest is challenging that concept and changing the narrative. She shows that beauty, confidence and being the boss need not have anything to do with a small waistline. Okay, so today I'm speaking with April Ellen Horton, or as she's known around the Trouts, Bodzilla. I'm so excited. April is a model and she's a body love activist and among many other things which we're going to be talking about today. Um, So I'm really excited to hear your story, April. Hello. Hi, it's such a pleasure to chat with you. I um, I love that I'm known as the Bodzilla around the traps. I feel like that's where you want to be. It's the cool, it's the cool place to be. So literally, literally, it's got legs of its own now. That's so good. Exactly. I love that. Okay, so what I want to know before we, you know, delve deep into who you are now, I want to know more about your journey and your childhood. So I want you to tell me about young April. Yeah. Okay. So young April was um, a kid who grew up just in a household with my mum, who was one of those very independent, like I bought a drill, I'll do my own kind of home improvements kind of a mum. Very, very uh, independent woman before Destiny's Child was singing about it. And (laughs) so uh, my mum is white, but I am a person of colour. So she was uh, trying to be an ally and an advocate for me as a kid. So I think all of those strengths uh, are what I kind of brought into myself and probably why I was a confident, quite gregarious child. I I was definitely one of those kids that was like, look at me, (laughs) look at me, look at me again. No, you're not looking, (laughs) look at me. Um, And so I think that confidence that I had instilled in me was shattered a little bit, I guess, when I started to notice that I, you know, people were talking about me, about the way that I looked, people would comment, but also like um, having conversations where when you're a kid, and I don't know if other people relate to this, when you're a kid, how adults will talk over the top of you if you aren't there yes um yes. and and it's kind of like I you know I remember just being aware of my body being discussed I think as a kid I was you know strongly aware of my my body and also of my skin color but I was also the difference being that my skin color was something that was often actively defended and yeah. so that was ingrained I think in me and so my awareness of my brown skin was mostly overshadowed by the fact that more than being a brown girl, I was a fat girl. Right. And do you feel like 
from the very beginning, you were always exposed to this notion that your weight and your appearance was just up for discussion, whether you wanted it or not. It's like right. you guys just are entitled to talk about my weight, my appearance, even if I'm not part of that conversation. Yeah. And and I remember growing up, I was a kid, you know, I was that kid that had asthma and so like all that, you know, all those classic Me things. too, bubble child, oh. unite. <laughs> It's like, oh, there's pollen out there, but Australian side. Um, I think having those conversations, especially in the context of like with um, my pediatrician, and I remember her involving me in a conversation about myself and what what were some things that I wanted to do to help my asthma. And I was like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. And Mm. I couldn't have been older than like 11 years old. And I knew that that was the right answer. And she was like, yes, great. Like, yay. I knew even then that her her perception and the way that anti-fat bias has uh, encroached on the medical profession, she believed yeah. that too. Yeah. She, she yeah. wasn't even, you know, she wasn't trying to be mean to me when asking me that question. She was coaching me to understand in her mind what she felt was true, which is that my weight was the problem. It's interesting that that's the first thing you would have said because there's no reason why an 11-year-old would link weight with a difficulty in breathing, you know, that that's that's yeah. purely you've just absorbed that for sure. Yeah. And then yeah. kind of spat that back out. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. So did did you get any bullying when you were a kid at school? Yeah, a lot. Like I remember being in kindergarten and being called Vegemite Girl, which like <laughs> it kind of talks to the level of understanding that children have around things that are brown. Name three yeah. things that are brown. Chocolate, Vegemite, dirt. And being called Vegemite because I was the brownest kid. Now we can see each other, but for the listeners, I'm a light-skinned person of colour. Yeah. I am mixed race. I'm certainly at the lighter end of the scale as far as, um, you know, when we look at people with dark skin and how they're treated, I am so close to whiteness, yet because I was the brownest person around, they would, you know, pick on that. And also I was a pretty average size five-year-old, although I do also remember being called Fat Albert. (laughs) Which Um, makes me think when you look at children at such a young age, where, like, it's not even the child's not the problem now. Where are they getting this mm. from and who's laughing and who's encouraging this behaviour? I always look at it. It's like children are sponges and that's all they are. At that age, they are a sponge and they will just regurgitate what they've heard or absorbed or picked up. So, April, I want you to tell me about the Lilac Festival. The Lilac Festival, uh, it's this amazing local festival that we have. So uh, I grew up in Goulburn, New South Wales, which is in the regional areas um, between Canberra and Sydney. And so every October long weekend we would have this amazing, like, you know, it had dodgem cars and market stalls and the whole park was full of things. There was even like a cool train that drove around. Amazing. The like the best. I love And this. so um, as a kid, you know, you'd remember like there would be a parade and it would be a whole thing, you know, all the local community groups, you know, cycle club and um, high school marching band and whoever else performing arts there was all of that and so they'd have um, a big parade and then there would also be uh, the lilac queen so the lilac queen was a bit like the showgirl or the whatever and the people you always saw as the queen were like beautiful slim unmarried you know debutantes right yeah and white mostly mm-hmm. you know when you when you ha- see something like that as a kid you're like oh my god like it just kind of reaffirms what you've already learned from the media which is that princesses are usually slim and beautiful and able-bodied and white and all of those other things and so for someone you know they they say that you know you can't be what you can't see so 
Obviously, for me, I never looked at that and thought, oh, I'm going to be the Lilac Queen. I just was like, how amazing would it be to be that person? Totally. So, okay, as you were getting older and, you know, you had this idea of like, okay, this is like my concept of, well, like the Lilac Queen, especially growing up. And then, you know, what do you think was it that was turning you into this strong, confident woman that you are today? Do you think it was kind of a build-up of something where you're like, enough's enough, I'm just going to break out of my own shell and be this some, someone, I could be someone bigger than what I am? Or do you think there was like this a catalyst of change, one moment that turned everything around for you? So in one hand I would say I just, you know, I actively, as a naturally optimistic person, I kind of – could be resilient to the things that were hurtful, even though when I look back now, I'm like, that was horrible. It was horrible as a kid to go through things that made me stronger. I'm using air quotes, invisible air quotes for the people listening, but I suppose at the same time, it's kind of nice to know that my response to tough times was resilience because I know that's not the case for everyone. However, to say that it was just that wouldn't be true because I definitely feel like the idea of me being able to be something, as you said, bigger or something more um, came about when uh, my friend Lauren invited me along to a meeting for the like Festival Committee and she said, oh, I know you've worked in social media, they really need some help, come to this meeting. And uh, I went to the meeting and there were quite a few people I knew, you know, um, people who were on the committee who are also local celebs, so yeah. to speak, you know, uh, and... During the conversation, they talked about, oh, we've got a couple of people who've entered for Lilac Queen. You know, we really want to build it up. As the meeting was drawing to a close, they were discussing um, the nomination packs. And then Adriana, who is uh, the festival patron, her and her husband, she looked at me and she just went, you should run. And I was sort of like, "Um, I mean, I... I will think about it because I felt so put on the spot, even though like that's such a nice thing for someone to say. Anyway, I went away and I thought, why don't I do it? And and I think that came from the support that I got from the people in the room. And, and Lauren was like, "That was so good! Like, oh my god, you should totally be the Lilac Queen." And how yeah. did did you did you was it a lot of convincing in your head, or were you like, "Yes, I should run for the Lilac Queen." Um, I think I more went, ha that's hilarious. Yeah. Like I, I took away from that more that it's so funny to me that they think that I, I should do this, but maybe I should, because imagine if I won. So the October long weekend rolled around and it was definitely, it felt like there was something in the air and it wasn't, wasn't just the fact that it was a bit muggy and a bit hot and I was a bit sweaty. It was, it was more than that. (laughs) Um, it, it was a really, there was a tension and I just felt really excited. And so uh, October 2019, she became the queen of yes. the Lilac Festival. Yes, I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And does that mean that you're still the, like, have they run the Lilac Festival since? Are you still the reigning queen? Yes. So I am. Um, she loves to be a history maker. Yes. Um, so first time in the history of the Lilac Festival that the Queen has retained her reign for a two-year period because during 2020 we realised that a festival was definitely not going to happen. Um, so we were like, lean in, let's go virtual, we'll have, we'll just declare that I'm going to stay the Queen, Yes. keep everybody safe because that's what a Queen does in her queendom. Definitely. Now, do you think that since, since doing that and since winning – what's changed for you as far as like mentally, your perspective on yourself, your outlook, do you think a lot has evolved within you since then? Yes, absolutely. I think when you grew up in a place that made you feel a certain kind of way about yourself, I feel like that 
validation of me as a person by becoming, I suppose, a spokesperson for a place that holds a lot of memories, good and bad for me, and being offered, you know, aside from being the mayor of the town, I assume that being the queen of the town is like the highest honour, am I right? I feel it's on par, um, if not greater. (laughs) Well, I mean, that I I will allow it. The the mayor doesn't have a crown. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, in regards to your presence online with the Bodzilla, with everything, how, what was the timeline of that? you know, because I know that you won Lilac Queen in 2019. When did things start happening for the Bodzilla on your Instagram and social media in general? So the conversation that I had with my friend uh, who encouraged me to kind of make it my thing happened after the Lilac Time win. Um, It was, uh, you know, a lunchtime catch-up. She made this comment about how she really liked what I was doing with body posse work on my Instagram, which was pretty much like a personal Instagram Mm. at at that point. And she was like, make that a thing. So we did a photo shoot together uh, mid-Feb about four months later. Okay. I changed my Instagram handle after we had – she had spent a lot of time. She and I did a lot of chatting about, like, what the name should be and she actually came up with the name. She was, you know, rattling off different words. Yeah. And and one of the things she said was like, bod, bod. She was like, bod, bod, bodzilla. I was like, that's it. That's it. That's Let's it. Go. Let's roll. And so we did that. So my 35th birthday was when I flipped the switch. And, yeah, it's been a wild ride. I have, you know, ch- increased my followers. I've had amazing media opportunities. Like so, so much has happened and I have to, like, I look at that and I go, that happened because you just decided I'm going to do that. Yeah. That, that, of course, all of the other people who've contributed and supported and, and given me confidence for sure. But it was that self-belief and that um, unwavering kind of decision of I'm going to just actually give everything a red hot go. I'm not yeah. going to stand back and be like, oh, I couldn't be the best at that. You don't have to be the best. I mean, no. there's no there's no way to be the best. You can't be the best feminist. You can't be the best activist. There's no There's no way to be the best. But you can be the best version of you. And I know that sounds naff, but it's true. Yeah, definitely. You can be the best version of you. And sometimes that means, like, taking care of yourself when it feels like other people want things from you too. Like, I want to really emphasise that being the best version of you doesn't mean being someone who just lays down and takes it. It doesn't have to be someone who people pleases. Being the best version of you is the, the one that serves you the best and fulfills your purpose. Yeah. Do you, okay, do you experience, like obviously you, you experience bullying and, and that when you were younger, do you experience that now as much less, more? What's it like now? Do I experience the same amount of overt racism? No. Do I experience the same amount of overt fat phobia? Yes. Mm. Only insofar as I have never not felt in certain scenarios that I was being looked at or commented on, whether directly to me or, or, you know, where people are talking to their friends and they're looking at you. Like it's so obvious that they're talking about you. But right. um, I, I am in a smaller body these days than I was when I was in my 20s, but I also um, I was a lower body weight after I had my son. So I've definitely I've been through a number of different body moments, size and shape and confidence and feelings wise. But the difference is that now I have never felt so ready to just be like, what? 
Yeah. What are you staring at? But I wouldn't necessarily take it to heart. It yeah. wouldn't be me defending myself. No. It would be me being like, you can't talk to people like that. Don't speak to me like that and don't speak to anybody like that. Whereas before I'd be like, that's really mean. But now I'm like, eh, you suck. Yeah. So, so that difference yeah. in how I've been treated maybe isn't there, but how I handle it and how I feel about it is different. Is different, yeah. And I feel that... There's this crazy amount of people's entitlement to just give you their unsolicited feedback on something that's personal. It doesn't involve them whatsoever. And I have always looked at it as I do see it as a sign of an insecurity within a person if you feel the need to drag someone down. I think you never see someone who's really comfortable in their own skin making an unsolicited comment about someone. You just don't. That is the, that is the truth. That, mm. So that is one of the things that I talk about around um, what I believe body positivity is self-love externalised. Yes. So, you know, they say hurt people hurt people. And so I say happy people want other people to be happy too. And so when you're happy with yourself, and that doesn't have to mean that you wake up in the morning and go, I embrace every stretch mark, I love my wobbly, whatever. Like it doesn't have to be that that over the top it doesn't have to be that active it can be I accept that yeah I realize that my value is not attached to that the way that I'm moving through the world today isn't a direct result of how many donuts I ate like (laughs) whatever it might be um and so I think when people feel that way about themselves I exist and you exist that makes us equal there's no up there's no down there's no feeling better feeling worse it's just kind of like hey hi there you go done agreed So, April, another thing that I really wanted to talk about was kind of like the role that you've played with body positivity and body image within the media. Yeah, I mean, obviously starting off on social media is knowing that you're kind of just yelling into the the chasm Mm. (laughs) and just hoping that someone will hear you. Um, So one of the really lucky things for me is that I've had a couple of opportunities to talk to other women in the media who've wanted to have the opportunity to talk to me, same as um, we're chatting today, Uh, and that allowed me to build up my profile and get exposure, which then led to opportunities to be part of campaigns. So I suppose that... One of the main things that I like to think about when I think of myself as representation is that it's a representation of joy and of living authentically and without having to be the token whatever. Yes. So I remember seeing video released of a global makeup campaign that I was part of and I was on set with a beautiful group of models Um diverse group of people who I love and we all became great mates uh, on the set and seeing the final product of that I was like holy shit you you literally are like you're you're modeling you are being a part of a group you know seeing those other people who I was like look at them like ah superstars catwalk bring it and being part of that group and feeling like no I look completely at home there was something so powerful even though I was there and on the day I was like this feels like a big day and it's almost even more impactful when you see it back and it's like, wow, I've, I've processed that whole thing now and I'm seeing it now and I am a model standing alongside other models, you know. Exactly right. Like I think being in the situation where I felt like I was there but then seeing it, witnessing it, being able to val- self-validate, mm. oh, that feeling that I got about it being something big was real because look at this, it's massive. Yeah. And so that's been really, really special. Amazing. So let's talk about the billboard. Yeah, well, I mean, talking about things that are really massive, it's like 600 square metres or something. So, like, I mean, it doesn't really get bigger than that. Um, Does (laughs) not get bigger than that. um, I was asked to be part of a curvy swimwear campaign um, for uh, a brand, yeah, Curvy Swim, uh, in Queensland. And... 
Yeah, so being asked to be part of a swimwear campaign that turned into a billboard campaign that turned into an episode of a TV show. Wow. Like that was a train that was a train that I was on that was going a whole bunch of places. Like I was shocked and excited and surprised and all of the things. Never more so than when I looked up and saw that picture of my bikini clad self on that billboard in Melbourne. Amazing. It was yeah, I mean iconic. I, I really feel like it was it was something that was bigger than me, yes. like as it literally and figuratively. Um, but I I felt like I looked at that image and went, that's an amalgamation of every feeling and every moment that I thought I'm going to do this. That picture is obviously of me, but it's so much more than just of me. It's an indication of where we're headed, and I think it's one of those things where you go, I just did something like yeah, I really did something um and it was special yes that's again being able to see people taking up space literally and figuratively yeah. in the mainstream media um representation of fat bodies on tv where it isn't the joke oh her big ass knocked that cup on the ground ha <laughs> she's so fat yeah. she's got a good personality though like that we want to see unironic representation of fat bodies Everywhere we go, because we are real people and we exist and we want to see people with disabilities, we want to see trans people, we want to see everybody. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So that kind of brings me to kind of pretty much, I hate to say my final question, but like what do you think we still have to do in order to get closer to that? What What is something that we can be doing every day, every person can be doing every day? I think being active in how you – Think about the ways that you're looking at people and taking them in and perceiving them. See mm. it, accept it, mm. see yourself and accept yourself. And I think the other thing is that the people who are visible, show them that you're accepting them. And it's not just about, you know, that rule of models not being allowed to be fat or to be overweight. It's not just about that. It's about real people being allowed to exist yeah. without judgment. And the liberation of fat bodies in public spaces and even in our own homes where we live with people, parents, partners, who, whether they mean to or not, are talking to us about our bodies in a way that makes us feel shame. Let's cut mm. that shit out. Yeah. Let's not. Let's not bring that energy in 2022 because God knows it's not far away. Um, and I think that for me that passion that I have and that that insistence that we stop doing this certainly doesn't make me popular everywhere I go that that wanting to be like oh sorry we don't do that we don't talk about people's bodies makes people feel weird because they feel judged because they know that they were doing the wrong thing yeah and so I think my resilience and my willingness to put myself out there both on the billboard um you know I was on Cronulla Beach in broad daylight with hardly any clothes on and those swimmers were going right up my butt you didn't get to see that on TV but they were like up there so my whole ass was <laughs> hanging out on the beach and I was like, no, no, we're going to do this because this is what we do to show people that they're okay. And because honestly, I like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's not, I am a, a light-skinned woman of colour who is fat, but it certainly isn't the last you know, the last person on earth to be able to say that they have a fat body. There are people out there who are still no. are not represented in fashion, whether that is li literally being able to purchase clothes or whether they're seeing themselves in editorial fashion. There are people who are still being excluded from every conversation, even the ones about body positivity. And I think that for mm. me, this is what I'm doing. I have been called to do this. I quite genuinely see this as the purpose um, for me 
because I, when I talk about this, I get fired up because this is what I came yeah. to do. And I think that if I can be the person that gets your attention, whether that be with my bright earrings or my big butt or my loud voice, and I say to you, listen to me, now look over there. Listen to what I have to say. Now listen to the people who are more marginalised. Listen to the people who've mm. never been represented. Listen to the people who haven't been on a mother flipping billboard. Listen to every single person and really be there for the people who are in your life. And so I think if I can, if I can just draw everyone to a place where we can all be on the same page, kind of, you know, be that Pied Piper of positivity for bodies and acceptance of people, yes. then I'm here for it. Put the, put the plaque on my door. I'm, I'm down. I want to do it. Yeah, you're changing lives. This is your purpose. It's your why. I loved the conversation we just had. I loved what you shared. I got even so much more insight and I think the listeners will absolutely agree that that was, yeah, really eye-opening. So thank you, April. Thank you so much for having me. Despite the messages of our culture and those around her trying to mould her to behave and look like someone she was not, April stayed true to herself. Now a cultural shift is beginning to occur and April is at the forefront of it. We're slowly seeing more diversity in body types, abilities and identities. These pioneers are changing the definition of beautiful so that it's not just what we see on the catwalks, but it's about so much more. People like April are challenging the idea that you can be beautiful, not despite your weight, but inclusive of it. They don't need to cancel each other out. Hers is a message of self-love and acceptance, regardless of the thoughts of insecure others. I cannot wait for us to be able to look back and think of some of the beauty standards of today as being ridiculous and outdated. We've a long way to go, but a shift is happening. Not just a rule bender, April is an absolute legend. If today's podcast has brought up any feelings for you that you're concerned about or you're worried about someone you know, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. On the next episode of Rule Benders. And when I came back to Sydney and I had, you know, a few TV writing credits under my belt, I'd just done the Melbourne Comedy Festival with Comedy Zone. So I was very, like, validated in my own skills as a stand-up. I kind of was like, oh, well, my career seems to be going to a place that they weren't able to gatekeep. From Samsung Galaxy, this has been Rule Benders. My name is Alexis Fernandez, and thanks for listening. <laughs>